Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of the Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. It's no secret how much we love our state. One of our most favorite pastimes is pointing to a place on the map and driving there to explore local shops, restaurants, and anything else we can find. The keys to a good road trip are snacks, a good playlist, and a clean car. Get your car ready for a Michigan road trip by calling Ride and Shine Mobile Car Detailing in Dearborn, Michigan. We know the owner personally, and there's not a harder worker than Darnell. He will come to your home or place of business for interior and exterior detailing, wax and polish, paint correction, ceramic coating, and window tinting, right in your driveway or parking lot while you work. You can find Ride and Shine Mobile Car Detailing on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, or you can call or text Darnell at 313-804-6441 to get your ride shining for spring. Welcome back to Great Lakes Confidential with your host, Angie and Marty. How's it going? Going great. How are you, baby? Good, good, good. All right. We are, we missed last week mm-hmm. and no pressure, no pressure, but uh, we got a lot of really good feedback about our episode on the Grandy Ballroom. Oh, so yeah. you, uh, are you going to be able to top it this week? Oh, I don't know. We'll try. All right. I've got a exciting little book report for everybody yeah we're gonna talk about the 60 years war for the great lakes all right cool but before we get into that we are going to do county roots Mm -hmm. and before we get into county roots i'm just going to say i apologize i just had a whole lot of ice cream that i probably should not have had before recording and now i'm a little juicy so i'm sorry oh it's all right it's summertime baby and we're celebrating that's true we had a little soft serve at the Dairy Whip. Dairy Whip. That's Shout out to place. the Dairy Whip. All right. So back to back to what we're... County Roots. Back to what we're here for. So County Roots. So today we are starting with Berrien County. It is in the southwest corner of the state, and it was another so-called cabinet county named after people who served in President Andrew Jackson's cabinet. John McPherson Berrien was Jackson's attorney general. Pretty, right. pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Branch County is another cabinet county named after North Carolinian John Branch, who is Secretary of the Navy under President Andrew Jackson. Calhoun County, surprise, it's another cabinet county named for John C. Calhoun, United States Vice President in Andrew Jackson's administration. And to close it out for today is Cass County. 
Cass County is named for Lewis Cass, a 19th century politician who served as Michigan's territorial governor from 1813 to 1831, U.S. Senator for the state of Michigan, Secretary of War under President Jackson, and Secretary of State under President James Buchanan. He even campaigned to be the Democratic presidential nominee in 1848, but lost to Zachary Taylor, who would go on to become the United States' 12th president. All right. Did you know these these things? I knew about Cass, just because Cass is a pretty famous name for things in Michigan because of Lewis Cass and all that. Right. I knew he was the the governor of the Michigan Territory. Hmm. Yeah, didn't we talk about... Yeah, we talked about Lewis Cass when we talked about Schoolcraft, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the Michigan Territory today. Those two were buddies, weren't they? Probably. All right, cool. So tell me about this... uh, The Sixty Years' War? Yes, please. All right. Well, what's referred to as the Sixty Years' War is actually a series of different wars fought by different belligerents for differing reasons, all for control of the Great Lakes region. I feel like in school, uh, in our required American history classes, we were taught about the American Revolution, you know, no taxation without representation, all that stuff. We talk about a couple of the presidents, you know, expansionism, slavery, and we go right into the Civil War. We don't really talk a whole lot about the war of 1812 i mm-hmm. didn't did you learn about that in high school if i did i i don't remember any of it you know and even when we talk about the american revolution it's like we learn about it in a bubble like it was just this big bang moment mm-hmm. for america and that you know nothing really existed before that it's right. like boom we're america so all right let's go all the way back to the beginning in america you know we like to think the story begins with the mayflower landing at plymouth rock in 1620 but uh The first permanent English settlement was actually in Roanoke in 1584. The French were established here in North America 40-some years before that, first attempting to settle the area we know as Quebec in 1541. Anyway, Quebec as we know it was founded in 1608 by Samuel de Champlain, three years after the first permanent French settlement and first permanent European settlement in America, Port Royal, in what is now Nova Scotia. Back then it was Acadia. That's where the Cajun people come from. Hmm. But that's a story for another show. Right. Maybe Bayou Confidential. (laughs) I'd listen to that. Anyway, I knew I I just threw a whole bunch of facts and dates at you. So just to sum it up, the English and the French were both here carving up North America for their own purposes. And they were at war with each other constantly all around the world. The English built up their colonies um, along the east coast of the continent, and exported crops like tobacco and corn back to England. The French claimed a much wider area, from Newfoundland to Manitoba, all the way down to Louisiana, basically blocking the English from expanding west from the original 13 colonies. Well, I mean, that's a very simple history of the colonization of North America. Uh, The Spanish were here, too, in Florida and Mexico and into South America, but that's another story for another show as well. Mm -hmm. We're focused on the Great Lakes. I'm always interested in, like, I mean, obviously you wouldn't know from firsthand experience, but, like, what were these borders like? I mean, the the land mass was still virtually the same, mm-hmm. but, you know... Do you know what I mean? Like it's I'm I'm always so I know what you're talking about the borders of to how know yeah. how the borders were and how they kind of kept those separated. Mm-hmm. You know well, what I'm saying? You're about to find out. Oh, okay. 
Let's jump ahead to 1754 and the French and Indian War. This is where the Sixty Years' War begins. The French had established good relations with many of the Native American tribes in New France throughout trade, hence the name. The British wanted to move westward and control the Great Lakes region. At the same time, Great Britain and France were at war with each other all over the globe in what was known as the Seven Years' War. The British in North America outnumbered the French 33 to 1, so the French relied heavily on their native allies to help them fight. Britain ends up winning, and in 1763, the Treaty of Paris is signed, which gave Britain control of most of New France, everything east of the Mississippi River, including Canada and the Great Lakes. Spain ends up with Louisiana, everything west of the Mississippi River. Britain also ends up with Florida, and we saw how that turned out. (laughs) So the next chapter of the Sixty Years' War It begins about three months after the Treaty of Paris was signed, and it is known as Pontiac's Rebellion, or Pontiac's War. Pontiac was an Ottawa war chief who was allied with the French and dissatisfied with British rule. In May of 1763, Pontiac and over a thousand warriors from allied tribes laid siege to Fort Detroit, defeating British soldiers two months later at the Battle of Bloody Run, which is now Elmwood Cemetery. Hmm. That's where Coleman Young and Fred Sonic Smith of the MC5 are buried. The Pontiac's War was absolutely brutal on both sides, basically committing genocide on each other. This is where the British unleashed smallpox on the native population through Hmm. infected blankets. That's where that started. Anyway, during this time, King George III issued the Royal Proclamation of 1763, which forbade the British colonists from settling North America west of the Appalachian Mountains. Outside of Quebec, the land ceded by France in the Treaty of Paris was delineated as an Indian reserve. Remember this part, because this is going to be really important in a few minutes. Okay. The, The Royal Proclamation of 1763. Pontiac's War ends in 1765. A stalemate between both sides ended through negotiation. Theoretically, the colonists and the Native Americans would remain segregated from each other, with the colonists staying east of the Appalachian Mountains and the Native Americans and the British working to establish a relationship modeled off the relationship the Native Americans had with the French, which was based around mutual trade. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the colonists didn't like that idea and didn't like the idea that they couldn't expand west, even when King George himself denied all requests to encroach on the Indian Reserve. They did it anyway, and in 1774, we have the third chapter of the Sixty Years' War, What's called Dunsmore's War, named after Lord Dunsmore, who was, you know, presiding over the Virginia colony at the time. This was a war between the Virginia colony and the Shawnee and Mingo tribes in the Ohio Valley. The war resulted in a treaty pushing the British boundary west to the Ohio River, giving the British more room. Now we jump ahead to 1776, and here we go. The fourth chapter of the Sixty Years' War the American Revolution. We're always taught that the reason for the revolution was because the colonists objected to paying taxes in Britain where they had no representation in Parliament, the Stamp Act, all that stuff. But looking at the precipitating wars in the Sixty Years' War, what's really apparent and not really discussed in schools is that expansionism is a steady theme throughout this time. Sure, it takes a lot of romance out of our history, but it's fair to say that this was another factor in the revolution. The colonies wanted to expand westward. 
They were already claiming land west of the boundary established by the Royal Proclamation of 1763. That's an important factor that gets minimized in American history. The colonists wanted to expand across the continent into the land ceded by France in 1763, and King George said no. Anyway, we know how that one ends. The United States is born, and Britain pulls back to the old northwest and keeps the land on the north shore of the Great Lakes, Canada, and maintains a military presence as well as ties to their Native American allies. The old northwest is the Ohio Territory which is what eventually becomes Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, and parts of Minnesota, the Great Lakes states as we know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the Ohio Territory was home to a few forts and trading posts originally built by the French and occupied by the British after the Revolution, like Detroit, as well as many Native American tribes that were allied with the British during the Revolution. Which brings us to the fifth chapter in the Sixty Years' War, the Northwest Indian War in 1786. As the colonists moved west into the northwest, a confederacy of tribes led by the Huron and supported by the British resist. By 1791, the USA has suffered some of their worst defeats in our history, and the army is nearly destroyed. President George Washington appoints General Anthony Wayne senior officer of the army. And Mad Anthony, as he was known, spends a year rebuilding the military, now known as the Legion of the United States. In 1794, eight years after the war's start, Wayne's Legion wins the war with a decisive victory at the Battle of the Fallen Timbers, which is near present-day Toledo. The defeated Native American tribes are forced to cede damn near all of Ohio, and the British relinquish their forts on the Great Lakes. Also, spoiler alert, Wayne County, Michigan... Is oh. named after Jan- General Anthony Wayne. Huh. Sorry to jump ahead on the story there. <laughs> Wayne actually died en route to Pennsylvania from Detroit in 1796. Some people even think that he was assassinated under order of his second-in-command, General James Wilkinson, who was promoted to senior officer of the Army after Wayne's death and was also later revealed to be a spy for the Spanish. Oh. Still with me? Yeah. All right, here we go. This guy sounds a little shady, though. He is. He was. Yeah. All right, here we go. The sixth and final chapter in the Sixty Years' War for Control of the Great Lakes, the War of 1812. This one is sometimes referred to as the Second American Revolution, and it's basically a war between the U.S. and British Canada. There was still a tension between the British allied tribes in the Northwest Territory and the U.S. over encroachment and expansion into the Northwest Territory. And the British helped turn the screws on the U.S. by sending the Royal Navy towards the Atlantic coast. They'd interfere with U.S. trade with France and force American sailors, who they treated as rogue British subjects, into service with the Royal Navy, disregarding their U.S. citizenship and sovereignty. The U.S. responded by declaring war on Britain again in 1812, and all hell breaks loose. At one point in the war, Washington, D.C. is besieged by British-Canadian forces, and both the Capitol and the White House are set on fire. It's hard to picture our mild-mannered neighbors to the north destroying our capital city and torching our seats (laughs) of power, but it really happened in 1814. The war was fought all over the U.S. and Canada, from Quebec all the way down to Florida, but we're going to focus on the Great Lakes, since control of the Old Northwest was one of the central reasons for the war. Anyway, in our neck of the woods... The Northwest Territory, now reorganized as the Indiana Territory once they pulled Ohio out of it, 
We'd have clashes between American settlers entering the region and setting down stakes and the British-backed Native Americans who were promised they'd be left alone on this land in 1763. Two prominent figures during this time were Tecumseh and his younger brother, Tenskwatawa of the Shawnee. Hmm. Tenskwatawa was a Native American prophet with a pan-Indian message that the Americans were evil and that Native Americans needed to maintain a traditional life outside of American influence. His brother Tecumseh was the leader who united several tribes under what we called Tecumseh's Confederacy, all recognizing the Americans as the enemy. In 1811, understanding the threat that Tecumseh's Confederacy posed to the American settlements in Indiana Territory, the U.S. military attacked Prophetstown, which is now modern-day Lafayette, Indiana, burning it to the ground and scattering the Confederacy. Tenskwatawa fled to Canada in disgrace, while Tecumseh reorganized the Confederacy and fully allied with the British just in time for the War of 1812. The Great Lakes were a major theater of war during this conflict, with the British taking Fort Mackinac and the Americans invading Windsor as two of the first actions in this war. There's too many battles to name and do justice to that took place here in Michigan, so we're going to go ahead and spoil the story. The war ends in a stalemate with the territorial lines between America and Canada established by the Great Lakes. We got everything south, they got everything north. But I do want to talk about one specific battle because it's the only national historic battlefield in Michigan. That's the Battle of Frenchtown, a.k.a. the River Raisin Massacre. Mm. By January of 1813, the British had control of Fort Detroit and much of southeast Michigan, including Frenchtown, which is modern-day Monroe. The Americans, in a campaign to reclaim Fort Detroit, moved into Michigan and were able to take Frenchtown relatively easily. However, four days later, the British and their native allies, supplied by Tecumseh, rallied and attacked the American forces at Frenchtown. The Americans, despite knowing that the British would eventually return, didn't expect it to happen so quickly and were caught off guard. What happened next is the deadliest battle ever fought on Michigan soil and the most casualties in a single battle during the War of 1812. Just before daybreak, January 22, 1813, the British forces under the command of Brigadier General Henry Proctor and their Native American allies from the Shawnee, Potawatomi, Ottawa, Chippewa, Delaware, Miami, Sauk, and Fox tribes left by Tecumseh under the command of the Wyandotte chiefs Roundhead and Walks in Water, attacked the American forces at Frenchtown. Caught totally unprepared, the first line of American defense fell in about 20 minutes, with the relatively green regulars of the American forces scattering in the face of surprise combat. American General James Winchester, the commanding officer of the American forces, was awakened by the sound of artillery fire and quickly ordered over 200 troops from the more combat-experienced 1st Kentucky Rifle Regiment to battle. Under fire from three sides, the riflemen couldn't even reach the battleground and American forces retreated south to regroup. Subsequent rallies fell short, with the British and native forces eventually trapping the Americans on a narrow road, killing over half of the 400 men there and taking 147 prisoners, including General Winchester, who was stripped of his uniform by Chief Roundhead before he was turned over to the British, sparking a long-standing rumor that Winchester was captured in his pajamas. Mm -hmm. The remaining Americans in retreat scattered, with many surrendering only to be killed by Chief Roundhead's men. 
Three American military divisions remained as the defenders of Frenchtown and fought admirably against the British. They had managed to neutralize most of the British artillery corps and killed many infantrymen, but they were running low on ammunition. British General Proctor, holding American General Winchester as a prisoner, instructed Winchester to order his remaining forces to surrender. The American holdouts defied the order, preferring to die fighting, and fought for another three hours before finally surrendering. General Proctor ordered the Potawatomi to burn Frenchtown to the ground, but they refused because they had given this land to the settlers of Frenchtown. Their beef wasn't with them, it was with the U.S. government. Immediately after the surrender, the toll on American forces looked like this. Over 300 men killed and over 500 men taken prisoner. General Proctor and the British took the uninjured American prisoners and marched them north across the frozen Detroit River to Fort Malden in Amherstburg. The remaining prisoners, too injured to complete the march, were left behind in Frenchtown with Chief Roundhead's native warriors. By the next morning, the native warriors had begun taking matters into their own hands. Injured American soldiers were robbed of their possessions, and anyone who could walk at all was marched towards Fort Malden by the Potawatomi. The injured soldiers that were left behind were killed. Buildings housing injured soldiers were burned and the fleeing soldiers executed. The American prisoners who couldn't keep up on the forced march were also killed. Up to 100 injured American soldiers were killed post-surrender in what became known as the River Raisin Massacre. When news of this massacre found its way across America, Americans were outraged and horrified. Remember the Raisin became a rallying cry long before the Alamo. The River Raisin Battlefield is a national historic battlefield in Monroe. It's the only one in Michigan and the only one honoring the War of 1812. Have you ever been to the River Raisin? Not down to the battlefield. Okay. Uh, but I've been to the River Raisin in different spots. Okay. There, I used to live in Blissfield, mm-hmm. and River Raisin goes through yeah. Blissfield. And every year they have a River Raisin festival. Mm. And I went one year when I lived down there, and I'm pretty sure that that whole area is haunted. Yeah. But it's Blissfield and not Monroe. So I'm not sure. I mean, the River Raisin is. It's not terribly long, like like the Agre or Titabawasi rivers are like really right. long rivers, and I don't think River Raisin is that long. So, you know, whether like the battlefield may be in Tecumseh or Monroe. I'm yeah. sorry, Monroe, not Tecumseh, but um, I would assume that that whole river is was battlefield technically. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know if they actually fought in the river, you know, as much as it was on the banks of the river. Well, no, <laughs> I don't mean... I mean this wasn't like the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean like that. They weren't like in rowboats on the no. river. I just mean like there's like, and maybe I'm remembering wrong, but I, I thought that I was, for some reason, I have a memory of the grounds in Blissfield where the River Raisin is mm-hmm. being haunted. And I don't know where that information came from, but... I believe it. We'll have to look it up now. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong about the location exactly, but the River Raisin isn't that long, mm-hmm. I don't believe. I'm sure it's haunted in Monroe, where it is actually quite a wide river that, you know, cuts yeah. right through the town. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I also... Something else that struck me 
in the story is uh, like the parts where it was like, you know, and all their men were captured in 20 minutes or they kept fighting for three more hours. And then like, you know, like there's been a war in Ukraine for like months. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just just that amount of time uh, just struck me as I don't want to use the term funny, but, you know, there was a part of my brain that was like. LOL what? You know what yeah. I mean? Like I mean that's basically it. Like I hate to say it, but the Americans really screwed the pooch on the whole thing. Yeah. Like they uh they won the fort, you know, or they 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 won Frenchtown in battle. They drove the British and the mm-hmm. Indian out of Frenchtown and they knew that they were going to regroup and come back, but they just didn't expect them to do it in 2 days. Right. So they were like, "Ah, whatever." I mean, the general was asleep. Yeah. When it happened. Yeah. You know, they he didn't have he didn't have his men. Um, the, you know, he was probably waiting on supplies coming in because there was another general coming up from like the Toledo area, mm-hmm. coming along the banks of of Lake Erie, and I think uh, he was hoping that they would make it to Frenchtown before the the British did. Yeah, but the British came right back, and it was the same forces that he drove out that they drove out of Frenchtown, just reconstituted themselves and just came right yeah. back. Yeah, and if our listeners will remember. There was, we mentioned, uh, and I just said something to you about it the other day, and now my brain is mush again. That's fine. But when we were talking about plank roads and corduroy roads, there is an area down in down river. Uh, I can't remember where now. I'm so dumb sometimes. It just no. escapes my brain. You know what I mean. Uh, there was a, there, but there's a marker mm-hmm. where they found the plank roads and the corduroy roads down there. And those, those roads, those plank roads were used to transport military men and equipment mm-hmm. to come up for the war. So it's just, it's, it I'm really, together. yeah, I'm really enjoying, I mean, obviously a lot of this, yeah. these stories are going to tie together, but I'm really enjoying how we're only into like what the 30. First, I think this will be the 31st episode. Happy 31st. Uh, But it's just really interesting to pull a story from, you know, a couple of months ago and now and to see different ways that things are connecting and matching up and overlapping. And it's really it's yeah, yeah it's really fun for me like i apologize how this episode might come across with just like a bunch of facts just thrown <laughs> like at you really quickly you know i had it so all written down i trying to get through yeah and, and that's just an abridged version yeah, yeah like this whole 60 years war idea is actually like only about 20 years old mm-hmm. where historians finally like they went back and they were like you know we can put all six of these conflicts together in what we can call the 60 years war for the for the great lakes mm-hmm. like it was specifically these wars were fought for control of the great lakes that's bananas and so i thought it was kind of essential to bring it up and mention yeah. it because it's you know the early the earliest colonial history of michigan right. right so it does sort of set us up for a lot of things like you know see where fort detroit was french town you know these detroit monroe even you know fort mackinac which was on uh uh, what's it, Mackinac Island, mm-hmm. you know, you see where those were all founded, had forts, you know, back in the day before there even was a Michigan. Yeah. I remember going to the fort when I was in like grade school, we took a field trip there mm-hmm. and 
you know, of course, I don't remember any of the information that I learned. And even if I was able to remember anything, it's going to be such a condensed version of the story because we were there for an afternoon, yeah. right? So it's, yeah, it's really fun to hear more. And, and yeah, that was a lot of facts, but there's so many more facts. And it's, I don't know, it almost inspires me to like want to read more about yeah, that. That's to what try I'm to hoping. To figure like, out, you know. know, what happened and whatever. I think that's really cool. And we did do this specific topic because we were intending on doing it last Friday before Memorial Day and Mm -hmm. it just didn't work out that way. So we're still doing it. So, you know, to, if you really want to go back and, and give your praises to people, to veterans for Memorial Day, these are the people to (laughs) to really, you know, to really, uh, um, sing their praises and, and to, you know, whatever i guess thank them i don't know but and i think it's really what i found the most interesting is that the there is that sort of central theme throughout all six of these wars including the american revolution including the war of 1812 that the americans wanted to expand Mm -hmm. they weren't content with the ground they had they wanted all of it oh like in fact funny yeah you know, but like that's the stuff we don't talk about in yeah. American. Like American history is basically founded on "give me that." Yeah, but we don't talk about that. No, like no. even the fact, like one of the things that they wanted to do during the War of eighteen twelve, and this was Thomas Jefferson talking about it. They wanted to annex Canada and have you know Canada as part of the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, people make jokes and say it is anyway, but it's not. It's right. Canada. They are our friendly neighbors of the north. Right. Yeah, it's good people. So Funny interesting. People. Yeah, you did a good job of condensing all of that. Thank you. I think I may have done too good of a job of condensing it. That's, if anyone anyone might have to go back and listen to this twice and put it on slow. That's <laughs> or do what we've you know what we're hoping and and go and read about it yourself. You know, hopefully this inspires somebody else to to you know wait a minute, I didn't learn that in school. Yeah. You know, what What else is there that I didn't learn about? And yeah, it's... Like, it's inspired me. Like, I found out so many weird little things. Like, I didn't realize, and again, this is leaving Michigan, but it's across Lake Michigan. I didn't realize that Green Bay, Wisconsin was a French, like a French settlement mm-hmm. back, you know, when in, in New France. Yeah. Like, that's where Green Bay... Like, you just think about Green Bay, they got nothing except for football. You know, you don't think that it's a, a city that's as old as, right. you know, Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah. Well, and that was another thing that I, and you just reminded me, you know, you're talking about different dates and stuff. And you're talking about like uh, 1736, I think was a date you you had said. 1763? Maybe. Yeah. But, the Royal Proclamation. But I was just thinking like, you know, that was still like a hundred years before we even became a state. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there was so much going on and, you know, sometimes again, you know, time isn't real and I don't fully understand it. I have no concept of it, but to, you know, in my tiny brain, I'm like, Oh, we've only been here since the 1800s. You know what I mean? And, and, like we as Michiganders, as official Michiganders, yeah, we have not been here since, you know, mid 1800s. But there was still land here before that. There yeah. were still people here before that. There was somebody that was calling it something different. Yeah. And 
And that concept is just, it's like... Like there was like 200 years of Europeans in Michigan by the time Michigan became a state. Right, and even before that... And all these wars, yeah, I mean, and, there and was thousands still, yeah, of years. there were still people before that. Thousands of years of Native Americans yeah. living in Michigan before it's that. It's just, like the whole concept is so foreign to me to try to wrap my... And I know I say this all the time in every episode. I have no concept of time and it's hard for me to wrap my brain around it. But it really is. Yeah. It's just like, you know, certain people are good with numbers. I'm not one of those people, you know, and, and my brain just doesn't calculate stuff the way that, you know, somebody else's does. So to me, I'm just like, how are there people here that long ago? You know, because yeah. I, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. It just seems anything before the 1800s i'm like are we sure that there was people here yeah. like how do we know that how right. do you know that there's been people like again because the way we we teach american history in mm-hmm. school you know the american revolution was the big bang and then it was like oh we that happened and then suddenly all these and little we areas just kind of yeah. became america yeah yeah and we don't really talk about it it's such a weird so bizarre yeah, yeah. the old northwest that's yeah. what they called the great lakes i and I, I also enjoy, you know, just hearing like different generals' names and being like, oh, I know a place called, you know, yeah. I know where that place is, or you know, Indian chiefs, and you know, obviously we're we're talking about how things were named, and we've right. we're talking Pontiac, about counties. And, yeah, it's just yeah. very interesting to hear, like, because these are places that we know, and we've only known them as places most of our lives, and yeah. and to find out. That they're, you know, they weren't always places. Right. They were actually people before they were places. And it's just very, it's another one of those things where it's just kind of like. like here was a man who fought the Americans for his people and we named a car after him. Yeah, it's just, it's like, it's like that, that uh, brain blown emoji. Like, that's just me all the time. It's just like. Yeah. Tecumseh is a place, but it was a person. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like. A pretty amazing person who was actually killed several months after the uh, the Battle of uh, of Frenchtown. Yeah, he was killed uh, the Battle of uh, Thames mm. in Canada, a yeah. further up the road. Interesting. So yeah, they got him. Wow, good stories. Thanks. There's so much to look up. I mean, I'm curious now. I want to become a big. Uh, we got all the time historian. in the world. We got all the time in the world. We're just going to keep researching yeah. and keep sharing. Time doesn't really exist. No, time is not real. So on that note, it is time baracha, to uh, get a move on because I just got home from work and then we had ice cream and I bought a new car yesterday and I need a shower and it's getting late. So once again, thank you guys so much for listening. I am still blown away every time I look at my analytics and I'm like, why are these people still here? I don't know. It doesn't make sense Thank to you me, for being but here. it's amazing. And shout out to Corey once again. Uh, Corey's, yeah, Corey. Corey's your your uh, your kindred spirit. That's right. We had a good talk about the uh, the MC5 and all that on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I hope you guys are following us on Facebook and Instagram. A uh, lot of conversations happen on our Facebook page, and it's a lot of fun. So. Share your stories with us on Facebook or you can email them to me at greatlakesconfidential at gmail.com. We are still looking for all of your summer must-sees, must-dos, must-whatever, must-experience. If mm-hmm. you if you travel to a place every summer, if you 
have a favorite restaurant, if you have a play- favorite ice cream shop, favorite beach, a favorite. I want to know your favorite beach in Michigan. Yeah, just wh- wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you see, we want you to share your experiences with us so that we can share those experiences with other people um maybe we'll get some i realize gas prices are absolutely insane but let's carpool grab a couple of friends share the share the expense of the gas tank and go travel someplace so that's what we're trying to do we're trying to to yourself yeah exactly pandemic it's been a crazy last couple of years you guys even if you just drive for food that's what i like doing I do like food. Let us know your favorite restaurants. Yes, please. So on that note, we are going to get out of here. Thank you again for listening. We love you so much. And text us when you get home. Bye.